Welcome to the Holmesville Church of the Brethren. This is the worship service for May 7th, 2023. It is the fifth Sunday of Easter. Join in our call to worship. It's from 1 Peter chapter 2. Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We thank you that you call us to be your very own people. We proclaim your mighty acts, and we thank you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Let us worship as your people, to whom you have given your great mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.
prayer is from the new book, The Lives We Actually Have, by Kate Bowler and Jessica Ritchie. It is a blessing for courage when you don't feel very brave. God, I have no idea what courage is or how to muster it, but I know I need it. Fear is taking up too much space, and I have so little bandwidth left. God, if courage is a gift, then please give it. And if it is a thing for me to learn, then show me how. For blessed are the brave, those who perform big, courageous acts of sacrifice, those who move toward fear and danger, so the rest of us feel a little more safe. May we also learn bravery in small acts of great love. We who grieve, even if we feel like we are doing it all wrong. We who have received the bad news and take the next right step toward what must be done. We who sit in the shards of a life that has come undone. We who hold another's hand on their hardest days. We who serve and pour out and keep loving no matter the cost. We who live still, brave and scared at the same time. Perhaps fear is not something to be vanquished, but rather that strange friend who tells us who we love and what we can't live without. So bless us, God, in our fear, in our shaky hope, because brave looks like that too sometimes. Amen. Our scripture today is John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, but if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. 
Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. If you could only ask God one question, what would it be? Think about it. During Lent, we focused on several of the questions asked in Scripture. Now, during the Easter season, we are again looking at questions. It goes to show, I think, how important questions can be. Questions sit at the center of John's Gospel. At the outset of the story, Andrew asked Jesus where he's staying. Shortly thereafter, Nicodemus inquires how a grown man can climb back into his mother's womb, and the Samaritan woman wants to know where she can get this living water Jesus is talking about. And on it goes, as Peter, Pilate, and all kinds of others all ask questions that give him, in turn, a chance to teach more deeply the truth he has come to reveal. Of all the questions in John's Gospel, however, the ones asked in this Sunday's Gospel reading may just be the hardest to answer. Certainly, they are among the most embarrassing. At this point in the story, it's Thursday evening, the night before Jesus' crucifixion. In John's account, Jesus knows that he will soon leave this world, so he tries to prepare his disciples for the events to come. In fact, after the Last Supper he shares with his friends, Jesus spends the next four chapters of John's Gospel talking about his imminent departure. And these verses come right at the beginning of that long and dramatic scene. A few moments earlier, Jesus told them that one of them would soon betray him, and now he's just told Peter that he will deny him three times. It's in this context that Jesus says, as we just heard, Do not let your hearts be troubled. What? the disciples must have asked. Do not let our hearts be troubled? Are you kidding us? You've just told us you're going to die. No doubt most of us can understand what they're going through, because each of us has had those moments, too, when our hearts were not only deeply troubled, but downright disturbed, even anguished. Yet Jesus asks his disciples not just to believe in him, but to trust him, to commit their futures to him. Then, before you know it, he moves on, talking about going away, preparing places, and coming back. As if to add insult to injury, he actually says that they know the way to follow. To which Thomas, brave, realistic Thomas, asks another of those questions, But Jesus, actually, we don't even know where you're going. How then can we know the way? And when Jesus says he is the way, 
and asks again that they trust him, Philip can stand it no longer and asks the one question no faithful Jew would ever ask. Actually, it's a statement, a request, a plea, maybe even a demand, but underneath it all is a question. Show us the Father, Philip says, and we will be satisfied. Or to put it more directly, what does God look like? John doesn't record this, but we can almost hear the collective gasp on the part of the other disciples when Philip asks this hard question. In ancient Israel, it was simply understood that no one can see God and live. Moses, the model of heroic faith in the Old Testament, once made a similar request, and God put him face forward in the cleft of a rock and passed by, and all Moses could see was the glory of the Lord shimmering around him. God is too much for us to bear, too holy, too powerful, too infinite, too full of potential and life and the future for any mere mortal to behold and live. And yet Philip asks to see God anyway. If you want us to trust you, Jesus, just show us the Father. That is, what does God look like? It's an audacious, inappropriate question. But again, I suspect we can understand where it came from, because each of us has been there too, at our wit's end, Desperate for some hope that things will get better, for some reason to believe that this tragedy is not all there is. Maybe it was when the doctor told you that the cancer had returned, or when a loved one died unexpectedly, or when you discovered your beloved has left or after one more disappointment, or when the Twin Towers fell, or the floodwaters rose, or the drought would not end, or fill in the blank with any of your own disappointments and tragic questions. Each of us, you see, has also had moments where we wanted some reassurance, some glimmer of hope that all that we had heard and learned about God is not just some false story, but true. Just show us the Father, we plead, and we will be satisfied. To which Jesus responds, not in frustration, but in love, both to Philip and to us. Have I been with you all this time, and yet still you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, John says at the beginning of his Gospel. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. But then, John says, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, 
who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. And there it is. The two truths of the life of faith. First, no one has seen God, and it's hard, sometimes crushingly hard, to believe, to trust, to keep faith in and with a God no one can see. And yet, the second truth, Jesus, the Son, is the Word made flesh. If you've seen Him, you have seen God, and so know what God looks like, and more importantly, what God is up to, and who God is for. Here on the eve of the crucifixion, Jesus handles these hard questions. Then Jesus will go to the cross to show us God, to show us God's grace and mercy, to show just how much God loves us and how far God will go to communicate that love to us that we might believe and believing have life in his name. So when you have questions, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the one who preached God's mercy and taught God's love, the one who healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, made the lame to walk, and then conquered death so that even the grave can no longer claim us. Because what you see in Jesus, this is what God looks like. This is who and what God is. Love, perfect love for all of us and the whole world. And finding this, then follow. I will close with the poem, Face of God, by Andrew King. We thought you wore the skin of thunder, spoke in verbs of storm wind, majestic and mighty as lightning upon summits, unreachable as the cold and silent fire of distant stars, hidden behind a curtain in the temple, an untouchable invisibility approachable by the highest priest only, hands freshly bloodied from an altar. And then somehow the veil was parted. We gained glimpses of the glory of the nearness of your love as the hurting were healed, the outcast befriended, the lost restored, and everywhere the powers of death had their dominion challenged by the son of a Jewish carpenter from Galilee. If you have seen me, said Jesus, you have seen the Father. And we do see you there in the Gospels, healing in synagogues and in houses, feeding the hungry on hillsides, embracing the lepers and the sinners, turning over the tables in the temple, nailed to a cross of injustice but risen, greeting women at the graveside, sharing bread with your friends, the dominion of death overturned, approachable, reachable, the accessible God, visible in the skin of Jesus. But you are not done. 
not content to wear such skin only in the pages of the Gospels. The many-colored, multi-shaped body of Christ, the Church, wide as the nations of the world, bears your image where it acts in your love, still feeding, still healing, still teaching mercy, making you visible, not in great structures nor in high saints alone, but in the ordinary persons in the pews. As here, on a day like any other, a woman making dinner and packing it, knocking on the door of a neighbor newly home from surgery for cancer, the face of the one receiving it lit with thankfulness, the face of the one freely giving, like the face of God. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your revealing of yourself through Jesus. Help us to look to Jesus and seeing Jesus to follow him. In Jesus' name, amen. Receive the benediction. Because he lives, we also live. Because Jesus is the way, we can know the way. Fear not, follow Jesus. Amen.